Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. If you've been here the last two weeks, we've done, uh, started into a new series, but both of those weeks were a little different. First, we introduced this first part of the book of Ephesians in a series that we're calling, calling Rooted and Established. And so that was a little different just to do an introduction. Um, and then we had an encounter Sunday last Sunday. So we're kicking it old school, you guys. We are studying this passage, and I love this passage. There is so much in here. So what we're doing in Rooted and Established in this series uh, is Ephesians 1 through 3. And we're really just seeing this amazing outpouring of Paul talking to the churches uh, in and around Ephesus about their identity, but their identity all being based in who God is and what God has done in Christ. And he uses that phrase all the time, in Christ, watch for it in all of our readings. We talked in the introduction about the depth of this little package that, uh, passage or phrase that can get lost on us. It sounds like a simple little prepositional phrase, kind of like sometimes when you're praying, you say God's name a lot, but it's not just inserting Christ's name a lot. It's actually saying that our position is in Christ. That's where we are positionally. It's participatory language. And we had pointed out in the first week how Michael Gorman talks about this in Christ is participation in the triune life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means that we are talking about something that's inherently shared responsibility. It's cooperative with God and with one another. And as he says, to participate in Christ is to participate with Christ, which is to co-labor with God and others as partners in the gospel. His point being in all of this language, I want us all to have red flags every time, like good red flags, pink flags. Every time we see that in Christ language, it's reminding us that this is not a static position. This is participatory, on the move stuff. And that's where we are. So when we started off in week one, we were looking at the culture in Ephesus and looking at Chicago and we're saying these worlds aren't so different. And we still believe that this letter, this uh, um, outpouring is so relevant to us being shaped as the community of believers. And for those of you who are visiting, welcome. This is news that you, if you had been in Ephesus, would have just been listening in on to see what you thought about this person who was Jesus. Like, welcome. This is what we want to be as a place of welcome. So you too can hear what people are talking about when they're talking about Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. So one thing that we also talked about is that it was important to remember that in a context like Ephesus, that um, people would be passing through, kind of like a lot of folks passed through Chicago for a season of life. Uh, it would have been true in Ephesus, also because they were a trade town. And so this would have been a, a cultural center of learning, and people would have heard and then gone on to other places, and this news, this information would have been spread. And also, it was pretty likely that letters like this were circulated through multiple churches in the area. And so if this letter, I'm just, I'm giving you one more sales pitch. I probably will keep doing it for this book of Ephesus. This letter was formative to many believers in different contexts. And then it was put in the canon of scripture by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So it could still do that actual tangible work in us still today. And that's our prayer for this time in this series. So each of our sermons, we're just titling right out of a phrase that's in our passage. So today we're gonna land with praise of his glory. 
I love it. That's the ending of where we end up in the passage today. But here's why we're so excited that this was the chunk that we picked. This is the best thesis statement ever. I love it. Um, when I started going back to seminary a few years ago, one of my friends was in marketing and communications, and I, was, I hadn't written a research paper in a couple of years, like 20 years, 25 years. And she was giving me advice as I was trying to figure out, I, I've written sermons, but not research papers. And she said, tell them what you're going to say, say it, tell them what you said. That's all you need to do. And I was like, okay, so a thesis statement is the introduction where you tell them what you're going to tell them. And that's what Paul is doing in this statement. And so as a person who's written papers, I'm like, this is the best thesis ever. It's the summary of your entire claim. This is the good news of God's plan. It includes Christ's role and the Spirit's role as the sale of guarantee for all of the cosmos in one sentence. That's right, you guys. Everything David just read in the original Greek is one sentence. Our translations, in order to make it work for not being clunky, have broken it up. But that is one sentence. Okay, I know you won't be able to read this. That's it in Greek. That's the sentence. There's one translation I found that tried, even though it's awkward, in English. So to do it with only one period mark. And they had to enter some phrases because I'm not going to get into why the Greek is different. We're not going to study like that. We're going to just study what's in here because it's all one sentence. Do you want to hear what's really cool? It's over 200 words. It's only slightly shorter than the entire Gettysburg Address. And Paul has one sentence in the New Testament that's even longer than this. I think it's epic. I love it. So this is really, really cool because there's so much goodness packed in one statement. But I have to tell you, as a communicator, I'm also completely threatened by this thesis sentiment, uh, sentence. Because it's like one of those things, like, I can't top that. I can't add anything to that. I kind of wanted to, like, read it and go home and tell everybody to just keep reading it for the rest of their church time this morning. I was reading in one of my commentaries by Gordon Fee, a wonderful scholar who passed away uh, this fall. He was writing, and I was studying the details of this, right? And he starts off this section by saying it's a remarkable moment in Paul's writing. And here's what Gordon Fee says. Where one fears to say too much, lest its grandeur be replaced by our own pedestrian prose. That's his pep talk to the preacher to say, like, your common language is going to only mess it up. So be careful, preacher, on what you say. But anyway, Fee also points out that this stylized, incredibly long sentence would fit with a normal, um, or it would not be uncommon in sort of a Jewish I'm going to say it wrong, forgive me, uh, a biaka, which is like a benediction. It's like an expression of praise or thanks that's directed to God in the Jewish tradition. And you see that that's exactly where Paul starts out here, right? Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is now taking this uh, common format of a Jewish song of praise, a benediction of praise, and it's filling it with Christian truth in a format familiar to the uh, faithful Jews. Now, I can't prove this, but when I sit with my creative imagination and consider that fact, I think Paul's so creative and imaginative. So what he's doing is he's trying to communicate this new, this fuller expanded truth of God's always and forever plan now through Christ, but he's doing it in a format that would be familiar. So if you're a faithful Jew, you're like, wait, I, I get this call to praise 
but what's this information now that we're praising God in, in a new way for new things? I can, I can imagine the Jews having a familiarity, but like a question mark that would pique some curiosity. While to the Gentiles listening to the same thing, they would have just felt like they just got doused with a deluge of truth, just like fire hose stuff, right? One sentence. It's a win-win to Jew and Gentile. Best sentence ever. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit under this deluge of delight in praise to God who has blessed us in Christ. So this is sort of, if we remember, we're just in the start of the letter. Basically, the two verses before this was Paul's, hey, it's Paul, grace and peace, like we talk about every, every morning, grace and peace. Those are the first two. And then he goes right into this. And so what's happening here is it postures us. This is not about an exchange of information. Yes, we're going to study the sentence, but it's not about an exchange. It's about praise. It's Paul launching his entire message with an emphatic call to praise God. So why? Why the praise to God? For all that he's done through Christ, all that's happened. So starting in three, if you guys want, if it's helpful to you, like open up your Bible app. I know we don't have Bibles because of COVID. We don't have them around. We need to get them back in the sanctuary. Open up your Bible app and just go to Ephesians 1, starting in three, and like feel free to look. I, I'll know you're not, I'll think you're not texting your friends. Um, so go ahead if it helps you to see it, because there's a lot of goodness here. Praise be to the, uh, I'm using NIV if you want to toggle versions or read in your own, whatever works for you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We see that. We see we call, we praise right away. God has blessed us with every, do you feel like the fullness of this, the absolute abundance in this language? And then our favorite pink flag verse or phrase, right? In Christ. All of this is happening in Christ. So we're just going to study this full sentence for a couple of reasons this morning. Number one, like I said, it's the good news of the Christian faith packed into a tight package with amazing depth of thought and truth. And if we don't take time, we can breeze past it like Paul's introduction, trying to get to the, what are we supposed to do now? because Paul's writing us, right? But we don't want to do that. It's filled with a lot of stuff that if you go too fast can just sound like churchy language, but it's, you guys, this stuff is incredible and it's so rich. Have you ever had like leftover amazing dessert? I don't know about you guys. We keep it in like a cloche right on our island in the kitchen. And sometimes you're running out the door with your to-go coffee and you just take a fork. We just keep the fork right in the cloche. You take a fork and you like douse it down and you like run out the door Versus when you ate it the night before and you like sat with your cup of coffee and you savored it. That's the difference. This sentence can be the run out the door to miss the richness of it or we can savor. We're savoring this morning. We made a decision collectively to savor. Colossians 3.16, I love this in the King James Version. Let the word of Christ this passage, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What this is saying is, you guys like, sit in it richly. We're gonna go deep into one sentence and it's gonna form us and we get to use that then to teach and admonish one another, all of us together in this huge statement of this is the Christian promise this rich morsel of sentence. Number two, the reason we're gonna do this is because I love this. Paul even says here, this is the mysterious will of God in this sentence. Have you ever wondered, God, what is your will? This is it. Paul says, this is the mysterious will of God right here. Just live in this. It's so good. 
And then number three, the reason is because it's super important for the rest of the letter. The passage that we'll start in next week starts with the phrase, for this reason. I'm gonna go on and tell you things. What's the reason? Because of that huge sentence that just came before that is everything we're talking about this morning. So we need this as our foundation to keep going because Paul is declaring this statement is the deluge of delight on which all the rest of his letter is being um, formed. So here we go. We are gonna taste the deluge of delight with richness. But there's so much here. We gotta pick a focus or I would just make this sentence its own series. So here's why I'm gonna focus just to keep me on track. We're gonna talk about space and time and the who and the why. So let's pick an observation on the space that is being covered here, like the physical space. Where are we talking? Voice, uh, verse three points out that we're talking about uh, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then verse 10 in part B says, bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth. Now, here's where I wanna point this out. In the culture of the ancient Near East, where we are having this conversation originally, this letter originally written, it's in the Mediterranean area. And people in the ancient Near East, in that world, believed that there were multiple heavens. Um, they, we have record of like up to seven different layers. There were layered heavens. And so the highest heaven, which is in view here, is the purest, where the most pure deity might be. And then there was layers all the way down to the layer near the earth where the birds would fly. And so there, there was an understanding that that closer uh, heaven was inhabited by many demons or semi-divine spirits, depending on the thinker. And so Paul's using a language that's not just uh, rich for Jewish tradition at all. It's actually cultural language, layers of heaven and earth. And here's the thing that I would say why I point this out. I think that to us, sometimes we look at heaven, we read the word heaven, and we think of that place we hope to go to someday and don't look too closely because we've got a lot of questions and that's okay, but it'll be good, that someday place. And in this culture, it was like, no, 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 that's all-encompassing here and now. And also in their culture, there was zero question about the concept of cosmic forces and power being at work. I think we have a whole other hurdle to get through to even talk about cosmic forces or spiritual battles and all of this because our culture maybe comes against that. Their culture would be like, oh, don't need to tell me. I know that there is cosmic forces at work in the cosmos around me. I know that this is true. So I want us to set aside our heaven, not as a wrong thing, but like that of that someday place. And I want you to look at the where that Paul, the space that Paul is talking about. Basically what he's saying is all of everything everywhere, all the layers that you believe in, all the cosmic levels of heaven to earth and all of it, everything all encompassing in the here and now, not the someday heaven, but it. Paul is in using an entirely inclusive everywhere language. So get the bigness of the everywhere cosmos. Paul is saying there is no cosmic level, spiritual, physical level, where this plan is not in play. Double negative on purpose. There isn't a place where it's not happening right now. That's the where. So let's go into time for a minute. First, um, let's just observe we have not only all of the cosmos, but we have the triune God all represented here, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we've got, we've got all. And so when Paul says, 
every spiritual blessing in that beginning thing, he's not just sort of using a churchy, everything, all the blessings, blessings to you and you. He's being very specific in what he means by every spiritual blessing. And he starts out, he's not being nebulous. He starts out in the past tense with what God has already done. Let's look at some of them. God has blessed us. That's one of the blessings that's already happened. God has blessed us, verse three. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy, verse four. He predestined us for himself for adoption, verse five. He freely gave us grace, verse six, that he lavished on us, eight, verse eight. He made known to us his will. Nine, these spiritual blessings that he's saying, every spiritual blessing, there's so much in the past tense that he's saying, God's already done these things and that this adoption was affected for us historically through Christ, life, death, resurrection, ascension, through the Christ event, this historically has already happened. God has given us these things. Christ procured our redemption, verses seven through 12. And so there's all the past tense, in case you were keeping up with our time continuum. I think for you guys, we leave left to right. This should be past. Okay, past tense, this happened. So now, present tense, verses 12 to 13, we who believe have been included in Christ. There's where we are presently. And now Jews and Gentiles have realized redemption together as one people, receiving the spirit, present tense is the down payment, for our final inheritance, the things still to come. The Holy Spirit is a guarantor of future yet to come beyond history that we now know of when God will reconcile, reconcile the whole cosmos to himself. Suddenly, we've just encompassed all of time and all of space. That's how cool this sentence is. Do you see how that fullness has just happened? So the Holy Spirit is certain evidence that the future has been set in motion now. It's been set in motion. All of heaven and earth will be brought to complete unity with one another and with triune God through Christ. So we sense that richness, right? That fullness of space and time. Oh, just the entirety of the cosmos in the past, present, and future brought to promised motion until it's completed in Christ. Got it. It's beautiful. And it's so full and all-encompassing. We don't want to go by it too quickly. So now let's talk about the who. Who does this one little sentence include? We're going to talk about this a lot more, but it is so radical. We'll just touch briefly now on the nature of uniting Gentiles into the people of God for that context. Now we, as I would guess, very largely ethnic Gentiles in this room are very thankful for this and have lived in this reality and we love this. But remember for the Jewish people of God who are holding tight to what they believed um, was their role in the world, this would be so radical. And I don't ever want us to lose that from the faithful Jewish perspective. The children of Abraham, and we are gonna talk a lot more about unity in the church in this letter. But for today, just look at the language Paul uses here to reinforce this broad stroke story of God. Throughout the whole sentence, if you have it up, you'll see words that are speaking to the history of God's story. Here are some words. The words like God chose us and predestined us. Those would be known from Deuteronomy 4 and 7. The concept of sonship 
We'll get more into that for a minute, but very clear, Deuteronomy 14, Jewish people know these words. These are pink flags for the Jewish people all over the place, you guys, when these words come up. The talk of redemption, Isaiah 41. Talk of inheritance, Deuteronomy 4. Talk of being God's possession, Exodus 6 and 19. So despite this ethnically mixed character of the church in Ephesus, Paul is taking... uh, Uh, ancient Jewish people of God language, and he's using it for this church of Gentiles and Jews together. It's super significant for faithful people aware of the Old Testament. So what I wanna talk about in this, I want you to see that the language is rich, but one that I wanna talk about that was on my heart for this morning to talk about a little more is the concept of sonship and inheritance. This idea of being adopted for sonship language. Um, I won't, I promise I won't read all of this, but Lynn Kohick, who's an amazing scholar and wrote this book, um, pointed out some things that I hadn't known and I think are really important. So this is a really powerful metaphor in this context. So glasses don't work well with my ear things anymore. We're going to make it work. Um, So anyway, in the Old Testament context, adoption wasn't abnormal in the Roman world, but you would often adopt an adult male, even if their father was still living which is crazy. You would almost never adopt a woman and you wouldn't often, you wouldn't adopt an infant because who knew if they were gonna turn out to be a good guy or a total dud and it was too much of a risk. So you didn't, you adopted an adult son. Now Jews weren't like anti-adoption or anything, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big practice. Um, so anyway, but the em- emphasis is that throughout the Old Testament, God knows, or the people of God knew they were referred to as God's son. Um, and it was to identify the close relationship that God had with God's people, that sonship concept. And so uh, the, the idea was not just in Roman culture, um, was not just that you were adopted, and the, the Jews would know this, by the way, the people of God, they were, they were sons who were to reflect the father, right? And so in Roman culture, that was also known. You would adopt someone to go into your family values, represent your family. In our individualistic culture, this is kind of lost on us. So I want us to hear this, that to be adopted in to sonship was to be like, you will then reflect me and be a part uh, uh, of me. And isn't it interesting that the Romans would, adult, would adopt like adult sons to reflect them even better than their own biological sons and to be like their representatives? I just find this all very fascinating. Anyway, but another reason I want to bring this up to understand it is that I think it's really easy for women to read themselves right out of this analogy as soon as we say adoption for sonship. And I want you to know that that took me some time and for wrestling with to be able to even sing words about like, I am, I am brought in. I can't think of the lyrics right now, Sam, but there are songs we sing that are like, that talk about being a son now. And we can, we cannot even realize it, that we've read ourselves right out of that term. But that's the radical nature of exactly what's being said. You don't lose your femaleness. You're taken in a culture that would rise up, regardless of your birth order, regardless of your gender. Even if you were a slave, a female slave, you're supposed to, the last born, youngest female slave, take all the things. And you've just been told you have been granted all of a first sonship in this culture, patriarchy culture. Don't, don't write, read yourself out of this, no matter where you are in gender, birth order, or, you know, status, cultural status. You've been given rights of first sonship, Melissa, Sue, 
whoever, you know, like women too. And you still get to stay female or slave or whatever else you are, like low economic status, whatever you are, but you've been given sonship right there. So anyway, does that help? The adoption of sonship is a super big Thanks for tuning idea in. that I think is We'd really important. We'd love to keep important. the conversation going. Um, find a weekly we gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. Pretty cool. To find out more, so check us out online at missiodeschicago.com. Uh, focus a bit on this specifically. I have two passages for you that talk a little bit more about this. Romans 8, 15 to 16. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by that spirit in us, we cry, Abba, Father. No matter who you are, you are now the beloved, favored son who can say, Daddy, I need something and know that Abba, Father is listening whoever you are, because the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's a really big deal. Don't read yourself out of that script. Deuteronomy 14.1a says, you are the children of the Lord your God. And so the people, the Jewish people would know this and they would know the hugeness of what it meant that all of these ill-fitting, not expected people have just been written into this same story. Galatians 4, 5 through 6, um, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. Hear that in the way we just talked about, not just, you know, okay, I'm not gonna keep repeating it. You are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son, Christ Jesus, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So in these passages, we see that the spirit has confirmed our sonship status and now gives us the ability to talk as beloved first sons to God with that intimacy. So the who? We who put our hope in Christ, both Jew and Gentile by birth, male and female, slave and free, brought into this unity of all things under heaven and earth. In that big cosmic all of time and all of space, those who believe. Folks, that's the church. That's, that's the who. It's the church. It's those who call Jesus Lord and are marked by the seal of promise of the Holy Spirit. It was them working it out in Ephesus in the first century, and it still is us, the who, working it out in Chicago right now, where we are, the ones who put our hope in Christ, who have already made that decision, and the ones who need to hear that there is a promise like this out there for adoption into something greater, not into sonship, but into this holy union that's working out this messy gig together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that is the good news, that as we work this out, that we would be ready and able to know this thesis statement so deep in our souls that we could give this rich morsel to somebody else who is hungry and longing and searching to know of some purpose. What is God's will? This place is a hot mess. Right, but this is God's will. Taste this morsel and know that you too have been offered up adoption to sonship where the whole cosmos in all of the history of time has been put into motion. That we, as the ones living in this now, would be a place of welcome in Christ through his blood to share this thesis-rich morsel to everyone. We are all supposed to be united into this glorious inheritance. This concept of inheritance will pass on into next week. It's so good. Verses 9 through 10 say, He made known to us the mystery of His will 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Here's what that whole bunch of words means in a nutshell. The mystery of his will, which just made him happy. That's the good pleasure part. This will that makes God super happy to put into effect, because it happened in Christ, by the way, don't forget it, all comes through Christ, will happen and be full still to come. Okay, but the mystery of his will is to bring unity to all things. If we could take out some of Paul's phrases, which I don't want to do because it's such a rich morsel, we would see the mystery of his will would be unity in all things, united with triune God, united with each other, shalom, actually being in breaking into our lives until the fulfillment that is left to come, which brings us to the last thing. But why? But why? This, all of this sentence, this is the will of God, this work of Christ that's guaranteed by the Spirit. This is to the praise of his glory. I told you in the beginning, we're gonna end on this phrase. It happens three times in this passage. I know that's the back to the one sentence version that you don't need to read. But in three places, this is why I love to print out scripture and highlight and have Rose go, because you read it and you say three times we're talking about to the praise of his glory. What are we talking about? You guys, this is the stuff that brings glory to God. What does it mean to praise God? To live into his will, to look at God's big plan, that thesis statement and be like, this is your will? that I would be united with you and with my fellow brothers and sisters. This is it. And when I do that, it's worship. When I just say, yes, I bring praise to your glory. I just feel like there's something so beautiful in remembering that fact that we can actually bring glory even with our off-tune voices. It's not all about singing, although singing is wonderful, but like living this, living this out and believing it and having your life shaped and your neighbor say to you one day, I see something going on and you're just like, I'm overflowing. I am so rooted and established in the love of God and you're praising him with your life regardless of words coming out of your mouth. They're not even needed. They're helpful. But you can just live this and it all brings praise to his name. Our yes to this will of God is received as worship to the praise of his glory. What if a yes to God's will to give every spiritual blessing, like it's his will to give everything to us, And if I say yes, I bring praise to his glory. That feels like a really great invitation. And if we just sit in that a moment and just think maybe this this gift is one that I've been holding off on accepting fully because I'm expecting a string to be attached. But I just want you guys to feel the, the richness of the morsel that's being held out in front of you, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good and that when you just delight in the free gift, you're bringing praise to his glory. So God, we love you. We praise you. We offer a praise in our yes. And for those who maybe just happened in here and didn't know what to expect, I just pray that you would meet them sweetly um, and that my words that may feel Um, 
I don't know, can feel like a lot of information would all be strewn away just to this morsel be sitting in front of them in their creative um, heart and spirit's eye that they would just see that the nugget of all of this that you love them and that you're inviting them to a yes that is your will for full flourishing, lavish riches that you just long to give to those who you have adopted in to call you Abba. God, we thank you that in Christ we participate in a plan that is more beautiful than anything we could have asked or imagined. We love you and we continue our morning in praise to you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.